Welcome to Debrief by MedPro Group, an inside look at some of the 500,000 plus medical malpractice claims handled by our company. In this podcast, our claims experts share the interesting, unique, and often intriguing elements of cases they have handled. Ready? Let's begin. Welcome listeners to this episode of Debrief. Today we have with us Joe Sheehan. Joe, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Joe, uh, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of information on your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, no problem. So I'm a, uh, I'm a medical malpractice attorney by trade, uh, and I spent most of my career defending healthcare professionals uh, in medical malpractice cases around the country. Um, and then I brought uh, my skills over here to, to MedPro. Currently, I'm the National Division Claims Manager for our healthcare professionals. Uh, so I lead a team of claim consultants around the country uh, handling claims involving allied healthcare professionals. So nurse practitioners, podiatrists, nurses, and pretty much anybody else who's involved in the healthcare industry. Okay, great. So Joe, you've got uh, a little bit of an interesting case for us here. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a, a 35,000 foot overview of the case. What, what happened here? What are we looking at today? Sure, no problem. So this case involves a 60-year-old female who had a longstanding history of knee pain and knee issues. She was on the road to having a knee replacement in both knees eventually, but she came to our nurse practitioner for stem cell therapy. Uh, and stem cell therapy is where they, uh, the provider injects stem cells into the joint to help uh, preserve joint function and ultimately prolong her need for her joint replacement. Um, but in this particular case, the patient claimed that she got an infection in her knee uh, from the stem cell injection, which required a couple of surgical uh, debridements where they open up the knee and they clean it out uh, and ultimately accelerated her need for a total knee replacement. Okay. Well, to be honest with you, Joe, this, this case is a little near and dear to my heart because I actually had a stem cell injection for knee pain. And then I ultimately wound up having both my knees replaced as well. So uh, I can kind of relate to the situation. Sure. Uh, so let's, let's walk through the case. Let's talk about the particulars. So as I was reading through the redacted case notes, uh, you know, I see that the plaintiff had a job where she was cleaning restrooms. Did, did that play into this case at all? It, it certainly it did from a couple of aspects. So this particular patient, she ran a rather successful house cleaning business, and she spent a good part of the day on her hands and knees cleaning houses, including cleaning some bathrooms. The patient claimed that when she came in for the injections into her knees, that our nurse practitioner did not clean her knees at all. She simply drew up the stem cells, injected them into her knees, and turned her on her way. Um, which uh, was different than our defense and different than what the medical records and, and what our nurse practitioner testified to. So our nurse practitioner testified that she would never perform a dirty needle stick uh, like that. In fact, no healthcare professional would ever puncture the skin with a needle intentionally without having cleaned it off first. And so she relied on her medical records, which indicated that she had cleaned off both knees with, uh, with isopropyl alcohol swabs and betadine. And she performed what we call 
a, a no-touch needle stick, which means that after she sterilized the knee area, she didn't retouch the area with a, with a dirty glove or her dirty hand. She simply knew where her landmarks are. She cleaned off the knee and went in with her needle to inject the stem cells. So that begs the question of where did this infection come from? Mm-hmm. We know that eventually when she had her knee, uh, knee infection diagnosed and cleaned out, they found E. coli and another bacteria called E. fecalis. These are bacteria that are not commonly found on your skin. These are, without getting too crass, bacteria that you would find in a bathroom. Fecal uh, matter. Correct. Right. And it's consistent. Go ahead. And then consistent, no, consistent with her spending her day cleaning bathrooms. So uh, if we can take just a second here, let me ask you a couple quick questions. So the first question I have is the patient says the nurse practitioner didn't sterilize the area, but she says they did. So I'm presuming that one of the best ways for healthcare providers to support their cases to make sure it's documented in the notes because when you get into this type of situation obviously these types of cases happen months if not years after the procedures have been performed and the accusation of not sterilizing an area is a pretty significant one so is there is there anything else that a healthcare provider might do to make sure that they're properly supporting that they've taken the proper steps in in their procedures for healthcare yeah, that's a good point. You know, a lot of times when we get to these particular cases, like you said, we're years down the line and we have only the medical records and the testimony of everybody involved. So a lot of times, and in particular in this case, it becomes a she said, she said. The patient says that she didn't clean off the, the knees. Our nurse practitioner said she did. So that leaves us to uh, present additional evidence to kind of tip the scale in favor of our defense. Two things tip the scale in the favor of our defense in this particular case. First, the medical records. There's no substitute for good, accurate medical records. These are records that are documented contemporaneously with, with the care that's provided. We're close enough in time that it's accurate. Okay. So our nurse practitioner had in her note that she cleaned off the skin. Not only that she cleaned off the skin, but she went through the, the details of exactly how she did uh, how she did the cleaning and her sterile technique that she used during these injections. The no-touch technique? Correct, correct. And they're using the betadine and uh, the isopropyl alcohol. Okay, great. The other, the other uh, evidence that we could produce uh, in, in favor of our version of the defense was our nurse practitioner's custom practice and habit. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something that this nurse practitioner does each and every single time that they encounter this particular situation. So she knows that any time that she's going to give an intra-articular injection, like these stem cell injections, she knows each and every single time, without fail, based on her training, experience, and education, she cleans off the skin. Right. So she knows that she did it because she does it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so those two pieces of evidence really helped to tip the scale in favor of our defense. Right. Support, support the healthcare provider's version of the story rather than the plaintiff's. Correct. Okay. And, you know, in this, in this particular case, the plaintiff's narrative was that she had dirty knees from cleaning the, the bathrooms all day, that our insured nurse practitioner did not clean her knees, and that's how she got this infection. Okay. There's a bigger part of the story, 
that, uh, that helped support our defense in this particular case. All right. So the, the, the follow-up question that I had was, this individual had a house cleaning business. She said that she had cleaned a number of bathrooms. So apparently before the procedure, but was there any indication of her then performing those types of uh, duties after the procedure? Yes, yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, and, and there was no evidence that she went back to her cleaning business immediately after these injections. Uh, the evidence was that the patient simply left the nurse practitioner's office, went home, and went to bed and iced her knee. Okay. The plaintiff had a day where she was cleaning bathrooms, came in for this injection, according to the healthcare professional, was thoroughly cleaned, received the injection, no touch injection. Then what happened? Well, then over the course of the next couple of days, she did develop an infection in her left knee. And that part of the case is undisputed. Now, the interesting thing is she got an injection in both knees. She got one in her left and one in her right. But we know, and it's uncontested, that she developed an infection in her left knee, and her left knee only. Okay. And again, that had E. coli and E. fasciculus. Okay. Her infection then required her washout procedures where they opened up her knee to clean out the infection and ultimately resulted in her getting her knee replacements, which we knew that she was going to need eventually in life, but she was seeking these stem cell treatments to kind of help prolong that joint replacement surgery. Right. Yeah. Push that off a little bit down the road. Correct. Before we continue with today's episode, if you have enjoyed the content of this podcast, please consider subscribing and sharing our podcast with colleagues who you believe would benefit from our show. Also, if you have any questions or comments for our podcast, or if you would like to know more about MedPro Group, please email us at debrief at medpro.com. Now, back to the show. The fact that she got an infection in her left knee only and not her right was a little bit of a complicating factor for our defense. Uh, How so? Because uh, the patient testified that both knees were injected with the same quote-unquote dirty technique, meaning that the knees weren't cleaned and the provider simply gave the injections in both knees. But it begs the question as to then why the, the infection seated in the left knee, but why the right knee was clean and uninfected. Mm -hmm. That required us to get an, uh, an independent expert in infectious, infectious disease on board to kind of help us explain the process and the pathophysiology of infection. And the human body, you know, is, is a mysterious uh, creature. And I think we learned that in uh, coming out of the pandemic, where the same bug can affect people very, very differently. Mm -hmm. The same holds true uh, in this particular case, where the same bug can affect the different parts of the body differently. And there's no real good reason why the right knee wasn't infected, but the left knee was infected. You know, there are certain, uh, certain theories that we have that perhaps there was better disease-fighting blood cells in the right leg uh, over the left. Um, but the fact of the matter is we proceeded to trial with an uncontested fact that she had an infection of these two bacteria in only one of the two knees that were infected. So uh, a quick question there. The injection that she received, I'm presuming that the injection wasn't from the same needle 
that there were two separate needles, two separate syringes full of the stem cells that were used, one for one knee and one for the other one, right? Correct. But what were both syringes drawn from the same source of stem cell or was like was it two different vials of stem cells, one for this syringe and, and a different vial for the other syringe? Yeah, so it was all drawn up from the same vial. Okay. Uh, so two syringes from the same vial. And that gave fodder for the patient's argument and the plaintiff's argument at trial that the infection had to have been seeded from some type of bacteria that was on this patient's skin from cleaning bathrooms all day. And it remained on the skin from failing to clean off the knees appropriately. Interesting. And what the, the interesting thing is that the patient and her attorneys largely ignored one very, very critical piece of evidence. And that was a recall of the subject stem cells for contamination. Contamination in what way? So the manufacturer who manufactured this specific stem cell issued a recall about five months after this injection. And they recalled all of the stem cells uh, under this brand because they contained E. coli and E. fasciculus, the same bugs that were found in the patient's knee. So our defense shifted. Okay, so yeah, I mean, it, it sounds to me, I mean, you, you introduce that little piece of information and for the layperson, it, you go, okay, slam dunk. There was a recall. E. coli and E. facilis in, in their product, that's how it happened. But if I'm, if I'm reading the tone in your voice, it doesn't sound like that's how this went. So, so what happened? It's tough to get any slam dunk in medical malpractice cases. There was a little wrinkle in the recall of these particular stem cells. The company that manufactured these stem cells recalled a certain uh, portion of the stem cells and they identified them by lot numbers. Okay. The lot number of these, the stem cells that were used on this particular patient, unfortunately, were not part of the recall. The stem cells that were recalled were later, uh, later batches of the same stem cells. Okay. So again, the plaintiff uh, and their, uh, the plaintiff's attorneys responded by saying, yes, the stem cells were recalled, but not the stem cells that were used. Hmm. So we relied again on the infectious disease expert to kind of help explain medication recalls. And they start very finite and they can expand over time. And that's uh, what we gather the manufacturer did in this particular case. They started with a small batch of stem cells that they recalled, and they probably identified these lot numbers based on reported adverse outcomes. And it was just never expanded back far enough to cover the particular stem cells that were injected into this particular patient. But the coincidence that the bacteria found in this patient's knees was the same bacteria that was found in the recalled stem cells was pretty strong evidence in favor of our defense. Okay, so there obviously wasn't a definitive recall of the batch of uh, stem cells that were used for uh, this specific treatment. So how did this case play out? Uh, was there was there a jury verdict? Was there um, a settlement? Was there mediation? Uh, walk us through how this, this case wrapped up. 
So the case proceeded all the way to the end. And by all the way to the end, I mean the case was tried to a jury returning a verdict in favor of our nurse practitioner. Okay. Indicating that she complied with the standard of care and that they believed that the cause of the knee infection was not related to our nurse practitioner's care. It was more likely than not related to contaminated stem cells. Okay, well, that's, that's, a, that's a great outcome for our insured. But again, as, as I was reading through the case notes, it, it looked like the insured was, was a good, credible witness. But at, at one point, the insured was pushing to settle the matter. So can you speak to that? What, what happened there? For any practitioner, being named in a lawsuit is, is anxiety-inducing. Sure. And you go through various uh, emotions when you're, you're defending yourself. And um, there, was, there was a point in time where our nurse practitioner um, was growing a little, a little weary. And um, not that she second-guessed or had any lack of confidence in the care that she provided, but was just getting exhausted from just the litigation process. Um, and so we, we had a, a conversation with her and reminded her of the support that MedPro can offer her uh, and the resources that we have to really defend her good name and to defend her reputation and um, you know, reinvigorate her in the defense of herself in this case. And ultimately, you know, we proceeded to try, like I said, to a defense verdict, but uh, you know, she did express some interest in, in resolving the case. And so while we were confident in the care that she provided, we did see what avenues that we could uh, explore to resolve the case by way of settlement. Um, but this particular patient had demands that were just so extreme and out of proportion with reason um, that we ultimately decided uh, in consultation with the nurse practitioner that this was a case that we were going to try and let the jury decide uh, whether or not she complied with the standard of care, even though we knew through our evaluation of it that she did comply with the standard of care and provided excellent care to this patient. Sure, and that's that's a really good point that we've discussed on other episodes. So I'm I'm presuming because not all policies have a full consent to settle, but I'm presuming that this policy gave this provider consent to settle. And did, did she provide consent to settle or did she not provide consent to settle? She provided her consent to settle. Okay. But just because a insured or healthcare provider provides consent to settle, that doesn't necessarily mean that MedPro is going to offer settlement on a case. And so based on what you're saying, the, the demands from the plaintiff were not in line with or, or reasonable. And so... MedPro's decision, defense counsel's decision was to take this to trial. Correct. There, there are some situations where um, cases, are, they just cannot be settled for or, or shouldn't be settled for various reasons. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in those particular situations, we do like what we did in this case, where we have a sit down conversation with our insured and explain the situation to her. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of that conversation, she was reinvigorated and uh, really wanted to push forward with her defense to the point of um, withdrawing her consent to settle oh. at, a, at a point during the trial. Okay, so that's, that's a, a great point to make because that was going to be one of my other questions is 
how, how did this insured respond to the support that MedPro was giving to her to stick with her defense? Because as we've learned over this podcast series, these cases can be very taxing. They can yeah. be very long. Uh, they can be costly uh, emotionally. And so I think it's a great story and a, and a great thing to communicate to listeners, both uh, uh, insurance professionals and healthcare professionals, that when you have an insurance policy, it's not just the, the policy, but it's, it's the follow through and the defense and how you are treated as a defendant. And so if I'm understanding you correctly, MedPro was able to come alongside this nurse and encourage her and help her see the benefit of sticking with this case, yeah. kind of shoring her up, uh, helping, helping her revitalize and, and, and shake off the weariness, so to say. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, MedPro's claims team is second to none in the industry. We are, we have a number of, uh, well-qualified and seasoned claims professionals. And while our core job functions are to oversee these claims and make sure the litigation proceeds in a way that is most appropriate, um, probably one of our other biggest jobs is to be there for the insured, to protect them, to provide them that support that they need, and to get them through a time uh, in their career that's not pleasant. Right. Uh, no provider goes to endless schooling to be sitting in a courtroom defending their care. That's not what they do, but that's what we're here to help them get through. And ultimately, um, in this particular case, it, it was having a candid conversation with the, with the insured and, and really reminding her how much this does not define her as a healthcare professional. Right. This is one person's claim against them and that reminding her that we have full support for her. Our defense not only was supported by experts in infectious disease, but we had an expert nurse practitioner. Uh, we had an expert family medicine, an internal medicine physician come in. And so it's reminding her that we built the best possible defense using experts and the best quality and um, best credentialed experts to really support her through this. Great, great. So the jury deliberated and they came back with a defense verdict. So when it was all said and done, what was the insured's response in regards to this whole process? It was overwhelming gratitude and relief, uh, probably relief more than anything. Uh, as you kind of alluded to, litigation is protracted. It can take years. Uh, and, and, you know, the pandemic really did slow us down and extend an already extensive uh, process. When the jury verdict came back, she was so relieved, so vindicated almost, and, and, and that 12 strangers from her community heard her story and agreed that she provided the most appropriate care. Yeah. And she was, she was very appreciative of the support um, that MedPro provided to her and, in fact, uh, thanked us for having that sit-down talk with her and, and reinvigorating her. Um, to not give it, give up on on her defense and to continue continue through. That's great to hear. So, how how long was the the case in total, the trial? So, from the time of the filing of the complaint until the jury returned a verdict in the nurse practitioner's favor, it was about four years. Wow, four years. 
Okay. Yeah. I can see why the insured would be a little weary and would be a little discouraged and having somebody come alongside her, encouraging her to stick with it uh, would be a good thing. And to your point, the vindication she felt when a defense verdict was given four years later, that's, that's great. And honestly, that's why we do what we do every day, right? Exactly. It, there's nothing more gratifying about this job than helping those who help others and helping them through one of the most difficult times in their professional careers and coming through it uh, with the jury agreeing with our view of the case, that the case, that the care that was rendered was totally appropriate and complied with the standard of care. Right. Well, Joe, thank you very much. Is there, is there anything else that you think the listeners would benefit from on this case? I don't think so. I think that we've hit all the high points uh, on this particular one. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for being on this episode of Debrief. And we'd love to have you back at a later episode if, if that works out for you. Great. Well, thanks for having me. appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Debrief. I've been your host, Travis Langford. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more information about MedPro, including healthcare liability insurance quotes and risk management resources, please visit us at medpro.com. A special thank you to the MedPro Group claims, legal, and marketing teams for researching, screening, and reviewing episode content and providing marketing collateral and support for this podcast. Technical direction, music, pre- and post-production by Travis Langford. This podcast does not constitute legal or medical advice and should not be construed as rules for establishing a standard of care. Because the facts applicable to your situation may vary or the laws applicable in your jurisdiction may differ, please contact your attorney or other professional advisors if you have any questions related to your legal or medical obligations, rights, state or federal laws, contract interpretation, or other legal questions. MedPro Group is the marketing name used to refer to the insurance operations of the Medical Protective Company, Princeton Insurance Company, Plyco Inc., and MedPro RRG Risk Retention Group. All insurance products are underwritten and administered by these and other Berkshire Hathaway affiliates, including National Fire and Marine Insurance Company. Product availability is based upon business and or regulatory approval and or may differ among companies. Copyright 2023, MedPro Group Inc., all rights reserved.